when you relate to creation as a thing, or you take creation as a thing, you have now established grounds that you can abuse it, misuse it, and all, all kinds of things. But for the African, creation is not a thing. Creation is a living thing. You are listening to Timeless Teachings, a global podcast with Jana Frey. We talk about consciousness, human potential, and happiness in daily life. In this episode, we explore the rich history of African tribes and mysticism in Africa. Our guest, George Quasi Ovel, is an expert on African culture and history. He shares fascinating insights and childhood stories, as well as daily mystical practices and rituals in Africa. Despite the fast-paced development of technology, this episode reminds us to appreciate the timeless teachings and traditions of Africa. Let's welcome George. Okay, so my name is George. I have a long name, but uh, I choose to kind of brief, you know, George, uh, actually is George Quasi Orwell, and I live here in New York. Uh, I'm an African, of course. I was born in Africa. Grew up in Africa for about 22 years, and uh, I've lived in New York since. I uh, I'm very uh, big on spirituality. I believe that uh, you know uh, man is a spirit mastering the human experience, and uh, basically, so I keep an open mind. You know, basically, yes. Of course, I have come from the Judeo-Christian background, but at the same time, as an African, I so embrace my African roots with its spirituality, I do embrace that, yes, because that's my background. That is where I came from. I live in New York. Uh, you know how New York is. is uh, I do. I call used to live here for two years, so I know how New York is. <laughs> I say, good. So even though it, it, they call it the melting pot, I, I still choose to say, you know what? Uh, New York is a salad bowl. <laughs> Everybody had their you know, unique and you know distinct take on life and uh you learn a lot you meet a lot of people so basically hey let's let's get a conversation going <laughs> yay man i'm so happy to see you here george thank you for coming on the show and i love how you said that you are african and you're spiritual and i would love to learn more about that so tell us a little bit what do what do we understand on the african spirituality well, um, Yana, um, I'm going to say based upon my personal experiences, you know what I mean? Um, I don't like going into the academia phase because uh, yeah, yeah, you have various streams of, uh, what you call it, belief systems. Uh, South Africa, West Africa, even within West Africa, you have divisions there because we are all coming from the Nile Valley civilizations. Okay, so most African spirituality is very similar, you know, from Senegal all the way to Kenya, from Kenya all the way to South Africa. It, it has similar. So back in the, let's say the ancient times, uh, a person could actually travel from Senegal all the way to Kenya. They call it the Sahelian belt. A person could travel along that line and can easily go through all those passages uh, without struggle. Because of the similarity, you know what I mean? Aha, and they could relate. There you have the major tribe, which was the Bantu, or some say Bantu, okay? And the Bantu was very huge, especially from East Africa all the way down to South Africa. So their spirituality is also very similar in their practice, in their belief system, basically. So Africa as a continent, I would say over time, you know, uh, it's been, it's been, uh, I wouldn't wish use the word yang yang. It's been that, um, double edged experience. Mm -hmm. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because in as much as Africans began to embrace the Western, um, civilization and embracing the Western thought and embracing or becoming more Westernized as a result of that, what happens is this, um, a lot of the indigenous approach to spirituality started fading, you know, started fading away. Yeah. I mean, of course, uh, Judaism, uh, 
which was possibly in the northern part of, of uh, Africa. You're looking at Tunisia, Algeria, and those areas. Back in the ancient time, it was not what you see today. No. It was a different plane altogether. It was more of the indigenous people like me that lived in those areas. And so you had, you had Judaism that was even in Morocco. Up to today, there are Moroccan Jews that are in Morocco. There are Egyptian Jews. Yeah, Tunisian Jews. They are all over. Now, when I said Jewish, I know most of us look at it only in the context of Israel, as we see yeah. today. But the reality is this. You look at Abraham. Abraham was not a Jew. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got you there, right? Okay. Abraham was not a Jew. Abraham's lineage produced the Jewish people, but Abraham was not a Jew. Enlighten us about that, please. Okay. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> I like that. I can see. <laughs> no, you see, um, popular to, uh, contrary to popular opinion, Abraham is actually from the land of Ur, which is Ur, okay, the Chaldee. Now, in that region, they call them the Adiabene people. He came from that area where you had the, um, you know, I forgot the name of that river. That's where Abraham came from, okay? With his encounter with, you know, Yahweh, the gods of the Jews, Abraham now transitions, goes through his own transition because it appears as you read the scriptures that this God had patient enough to sort of like introduce himself to Abraham in phases. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as a result of that, Abraham went through his own transitions, okay? Mm -hmm. To the point where in the ancient practice of covenant, uh, through covenant, which was something that Abraham understood because it was a normal practice of his day. Any indigenous African understands covenant. We do understand covenant. Let's maybe when just say, talk a little bit more about covenant for those who might not understand what it is, right? So let's just okay, explain, well, we say covenant. explain the meaning of that. Yeah. All right, good. So when we say covenant, it, of course, is an English expression of it. But what we say covenant, it is, it is cut. Uh, cut, mm -hmm. where a person and a person or an individual and a deity, all right, will go into some sort of agreement. Mm -hmm. And the agreement is sealed by blood. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it had various levels. When I say various levels, at times the blood is either sealed with the blood of a chicken. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a goat. Sometimes it's a cow. And sometimes it's a human. Mm -hmm. Yes, unfortunately, mm -hmm. that's what it is. So... It appears that Abraham himself went through various levels where this God introduced himself to Abraham. Now, to seal the deal, Abraham had to go through a lot of sacrifices. So every interaction or every encounter that Abraham had with this God, Abraham will what? Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. So it was more like a, a, a bloody thing. You could trace the streak of the blood. That was very bloody. <laughs> okay, very bloody. So as a result of that bloody, uh, I would say, levels of initiations or levels or whatever, it comes to the part that Abraham now, it's more like, if I should say, the finality was when he was requested to bring his child, his son, his only son. Mm -hmm. And then uh, he obeyed, yes. And it so happened that it was actually a test. Not an actual literal command to be carried out, but it was a test. He goes through that process, and then out of that, the same child who was about to be sacrificed, of course, his spirit, and then he also go ahead and has children. So the Judaic thing was not known until the third generation, which is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm -hmm. It was in the third generation that Judah, actually the fourth born, the fourth from Abraham, was born and out of Judah came the Jews. Mm -hmm. Because out of Judah came King David. And King David was the one who actually initiated the whole Jewish thing. So let's say it this way. Abraham, if I should say, was a Hebrew. You see the picture? Ah, yeah. There's a difference. If you meet a typical Israeli, they don't call themselves Jews. No, 
You can try it and see. If you meet a typical Israeli and you say, oh, you Jewish people, he will say, no, I'm not a Jew. <laughs> He'll tell you that. Yeah. Some of them will even be, they'll look, they'll give you a look. Like, how <laughs> I'm not going to try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I made a mistake one day. I met a young man who was actually a client. And I said, uh, I really admire you Arab people. He said, no, I'm not an Arab. I said, your name is Arab. You come from Iran. He said, no, I am Persian. Yes, exactly. And corrected me. Yes. Yeah, you yeah. see? Correct. Yeah. And he said, I'm Persian. And that I tells just, you you that, know, just a few weeks ago, working with people, with Iranians, and that's exactly, yes, they refer to themselves as Persian. Yeah. Yeah. They refer to themselves as Persian, never Arab. Yeah. You see the picture? And we make the mistake because we look at your face and uh, we see the hair, the beard, and we say, oh, you're the same people. No, they're not the same people. Yes. A Korean may look like a Japanese, but the Korean is a Korean. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know I what think I mean? Interesting cross culturally, you know, for like if you're white, all black people look the same. Or like if you're black, all Asians look the same. Or if you're Asian, exactly. all others look the same, right? So it, it, it's exactly, you know, those nuances when we talk with people from different cultures. Exactly. So you're looking at a situation whereby in African continent, um, when you go from I, I would say, let's go back to the ancient times. Um, you see Africa as a continent, right? There's a point where the continent connects to, I would say, Asia Minor, which is the Palestine area, you know, in those areas, those regions. And uh, basically, historically, that template, when I use the term template, there, of course, the massive rock land was actually, that whole area of connection was called Northeast Africa. Mm-hmm. It wasn't called what you see today. Mm-hmm. The word Middle East was coined later. It, it's a recent construct. You see the picture? So mm-hmm. you're looking at the region where there was, uh, I would use the term, it was more like a centralized place where people come from all over because of Jerusalem. Okay? People came from all over to do uh, 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 commerce, marketing, everything, you know. And it was huge in those regions. So what we say a Jewish person Okay, indigenously, okay, a Judaic person is not necessarily somebody who actually looked like you. <laughs> okay, they were they. It was it was a array. I'll use the term. It was a spectrum of colors mm-hmm. of those who were from dark, dark, even mm-hmm. darker than me, to the brown. Mm-hmm. Ah, to the brown, correct? Because mm-hmm. you know, of course, the sunburn, uh, Abraham. Uh, didn't look like you. He looked yeah. pretty much darker. You yeah. know, very you brown. Like you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course, there are books though. There are books being written to prove it from yeah. Enoch and all of those guys who was actually an Ethiopian. Enoch was an Ethiopian. Yes, exactly. You know, I mean, it's the same as Jesus, right? It's what you were saying that also. Of that, course. That, so you're yeah, looking that, at that he region. Didn't look so, white the way he's portrayed right now. <laughs> of course. That do you know what and what you just said is very true because what is happening is this uh this thing has created a, a major rift even among the Christian circles, okay? Because it's actually uh a, I see what we see or the image we see today as Jesus as a European presentation of who he is. Exactly. It's not, it's wrong. not European. <laughs> It's which of all, of course, I, I can I can say, okay, this is their veneration, venerated image of who they subscribe to be the Messiah, which is fine. You get the picture. Yeah, I but get when it. it when it becomes globalized, yeah, where it becomes the sole image, then we have a problem now. And we do have a problem with that. Correct. We look at our that. You know, interesting is the same with Buddha, actually. Like if you go and for example, you know, in China, and look even at the statues or images of Buddha, he's looking more and more Chinese, <laughs> just with the face. Even. So it's interesting how each culture sort of adapts those big uh, avatars according to how people look at this particular culture. And to your point, it is fine if it is just for this culture, because people can it better. But if it becomes a default one setting for the whole world, we have a problem. <laughs> you know what? When you go to Ethiopia, they have ancient books and manuscripts that you see images drawn. 
and all these images were people of color. Mm-hmm. You see the picture? Yeah. Correct. So that makes it sense. It makes sense when I look at Europeans and I say, okay, I respect this is your version. And I come to, let's say, let's go to the Syriac or let's go to the Matoma, which is actually in India, which is their present, their, their practice of Christianity is after the order of Matoma, which was Thomas, who was one of the disciples of Jesus. Ancient, very, very ancient. And all of these people have a presentation of this one Messiah, yet is, I would say, is presented in many facets, you know, different ways. You get the picture, yeah. And this is where I personally think that uh, if, let's say, the missionaries had come to Africa with the idea of introducing the concept of redemption, but allow the concept of redemption to play out through the cultures of the people, I think we would have been in a better position today that when it becomes an imposition, all right, where you are being forced, of course, let's talk about the one, the Spanish Inquisition, okay, where people were being asked to, you know, correct. So if it was allowed, if they allowed the concept of redemption to play out through the cultures of the people and allowed them to identify, come to their own place of conviction and relate, that would be that being great. We would have a man, we would have a field day. Okay. <laughs> but now in our generation, our time, we are still dealing with the after effects of, I would say, a crusading venture, which uh, at the end of the day, ended up enriching a kingdom, okay, at the expense of the very indigenous people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's very sad. And it's also what you were saying at the beginning when we just started, that the the traditional uh, spirituality is, you could say, dying out. So it's also not supported because largely there is, it's almost like an invasion of... Yes, of, that's what it is, an invasion. It's actually yeah. an invasion. You yeah. know, I mean, fine, yes. I'm glad, of course, there are many well-meaning, well-intended people who have come out and, uh, you know, doing very, I would say, doing very well in human, humanitarian courses. It, it's great. You know, I like the fact some people have done well and engaging that same discourse for their own spirituality ventures here and there. It's great. Let me come back to Abraham and the whole idea of the yep. Jewish day. So you're looking at the Middle East and you're looking at that area, which was indigenously most colored individual. You're looking at Sudan. What is Sudan? Sudan all the way to Yemen and all those regions, okay, stretching beyond was all colored people, brown, brown, brown people. So, Africa, as you see, um, has had its own, I would say, it's not a monotheistic thing. It was a polytheistic thing. Mm -hmm. But what had happened is that in the Nile Valley civilizations, which most of my ancestors had actually uh, migrated from, okay? And if if I'm here, yes, I know you see me this, but what if I told you that historically, historically, my people actually migrated from Mesopotamia? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Now, I, when I say this, I might shock you because your, your, your regular history book is not going to tell you that. Mm-hmm. But that is why Africans kept oral history, not the written history. Tradition. Yep, yep. Correct. And so my grandfather and great-grandmothers who've never sat in the classroom before can't even spell or write. Yet they kept a historical account and they could recite it verbatim to you. And this tell you that beautiful, George. I really, you know, let's just, you know, for the moment, uh, pause it because it's also it's such an important thing to do. The oral tradition of teachings and wonderful. And Wonderful. especially when we call that there is no broken link, right? Because when we write the books, particularly history books, I mean, who write the books? People. So it comes, it is very hard to actually write a book from the independent perspective, especially historical book, because there it comes from your culture, from your background, maybe some other agendas coming in. So actually when the, the history is being passed on from generation to generation, verbally, I have a feeling it has much more truth and honesty to it in general. Very much. You see, if I tell you today that 
my grandmother's enunciation of the name of God was exactly the way a very Jewish Jewish person would enunciate. So how is that possible? Yeah. Because it's called oral history. That's what we've known. Even among the present Jewish people, they still have the oral Torah, and then there's a written one. It's two kinds. So there's the one that is recited. Okay, so you look at our, 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 my people, you, you will realize that, for instance, um, historically, they migrated from Mesopotamia and came and resided in Israel. Mm-hmm. So when you go to, let's say, uh, I'm going to mention some tribes, okay, just for the sake of our conversation. Now, oh. these are indigenous tribes who have lived in the, uh, I would say, along the equatorial line. All right, you're looking at them today, you call them the Ghan tribe. You have the Akan tribes. You go, go to Cameroon, you have some there. You come to Nigeria, you have some there. All the way to Guinea, Senegal, Gambia. All of these in places have all had a Jewish uh, experience. All right, and they will tell you a story that they migrated. At some point, there was a major, major migration. So I'll take the Akans and I'll take the Ghan tribes. They will tell you that they migrated from Israel. And it's something that is in their history, in their king's palaces. You go to the king's palaces, they have history there. But the history there, you may not find in your books per se, but you go to the indigenous people. That's why personally, I say Egypt is a great place to go. And I love the monuments and all of these things. But the main people who actually hold the history or the story, the narrative behind the monuments you see are not the people who are there today. They are the people who lived there and did migrate. The ones who, I would say, carried the vestiges, all right, are not those who are there today. Now we have scholarly people who've studied. You get the picture. And of course, you know, all these archaeologists, I admire their work and I think they're doing a great job on bringing history to our present. But the reality is this. I think, personally, that if some of these people would take the trip and visit some of these Nigerian and Ghanaian and Togo and all of these places and go to the kings, I'm pretty sure that they will have a much more richer content in their historical narratives about Egypt than what they have today. If I told you that there's a tribe right now in the very west coast of Africa that has, uh, what you call it, a, a throne that the king sits on and it has Egyptian hieroglyphics on it. Mm. Aha. <laughs> okay. You see, it makes a difference, right? You see that it has Egyptian hieroglyphics and they will tell you straight up that they came from Egypt. And they even, I'm going to surprise you here. This is the only tribe that practices a festival yearly around the month of August. And when they are doing that, they would actually reenact the Exodus. Yeah, it's strange. I know. But that's what I'm saying that I love this platform. I'm glad to have you invited me. And I'm sure that this knowledge is going to go because, you see, um, a lot of people don't don't. I will use the term maybe are not that critical minded into questioning things because first of all, critical minded. It's more when you look for truth, right? I think it doesn't necessarily critical, but I think it's it's exactly actually what I wanted also to say to our audience, just to your point, George, that whatever we read in the books or what you know people tell us, even in the school or universities, and how do we know it is true? So unless actually, you know, we ask the questions and unless actually do own research, you, you don't really always know what is truth. And it's to your point. Yeah. It's so important to go and actually talk to people. So my yeah. encouragement for the audience who is listening or watching that if you have questions, if you are curious, if you really want to get to know something about particular culture or aspect of spirituality or mystical school or anything about how human being is created and go talk, you know, to scientists, go talk to mystics, go talk to teachers, yes. go to historians who know really well what happened. You know what? That is brilliant. Check this out. This is where personally, uh, I know I, I swinged a little bit, but it's, it's worth talking about it. 
Tell you me. see, um, this is where I, I tend to say um, they, they're African, okay, had a knowledge about creation, about origins. They were African mystics. Mm. Aha. Okay. My grandfather on my mother's side was a mystic. Tell us okay. about them. Now you got me even more curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my grandfather was a strong mystic. My my, <laughs> am I shock you? I'm sorry, but I have to put this news out there. Please, please, no, but, please get it out. There's nothing here you can say will shock us. At least okay. let's try. Let's try, okay? <laughs> let's try. All right. So my grandfather, right? I was a, such a curious child. And I would go sit with him and talk with him for hours. Hours. Now, my grandfather understood mysticism. And my grandfather doubled, if I use the word doubled, I'm sorry, you know, let me use the word double, doubled with the elemental spirits of the ocean. Mm -hmm. He traveled there. Astral travel? I guess so. I don't know whichever, how he did it, but he would travel there. And he would tell us, Oh, I went here, I did this, I did that. Oh, I even told us that he has a wife. In the ocean. Yeah. And he had children. Wow. Oh, it sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy. I know. No, hold on, let's put, let, let's, let's just, it doesn't sound crazy because I did, uh, I, I do know stories of other people uh, who had, highly unconventional mystical experience. So uh, I know that maybe for some of the people who are listening, for some of our audience, it would sound crazy and that's okay. But then also if we just bring it to as simple as uh, quantum physics or neuroscience, you know, the other stuff, there's a lot of things that is still mystical and not possible to explain to the human mind I, I'm so, you know, from my perspective and if you tell me you grew up there I mean look I come from a mystical family too my mom is a mystic and I grew up with all kind of stories and experiences and rituals so from my perspective it's absolutely possible that he had a wife yeah. and children Mo in the ocean you see most yeah my grandfather and you know the amazing thing when he was about to die I was home with my mom. He came home and said, hey, um, the people said my time is up. I need to come quick. Within four months, he was gone. He was dead. Okay. So he knew. So he knew. Now, most African fetishism is a mystical thing. It's a mystical venture. So what we use the word mystics, all right, unfortunately, when an African is practicing his mysticism, it is seen to be devilish and demonic and satanic. When the West practices the mysticism, it, it is hard. Oh, wow. You know, that's what it is. Yeah, they think so that, that is yeah. huge that, about it. Yeah. That became, you know, the issue. But but the fact is this, yes, of course, there's good, bad, and ugly in everything. Let's face it. Yeah. And so yeah. there are good mystics. Yes, I believe that there are. Uh, good mystics who use their mystical knowledge for the good cause. All right? I'll tell you one secret. Exactly. And just before you say that, that I think it's a very important thing because I told him in my mom, I'm also coming from a mystical family myself, and my mom would always say that it's just an energy, right? You cannot, it's an energy has no good, no bad. It is not black. It is not white. It's how you use it. So once you get it's access you, to yes, it, of course. as a human that being to make a choice, that's right to your point, there are plenty of mystics who do amazing things and there are plenty who really do bad stuff. And it's an individual choice. Yeah. I'll tell you one, one amazing story. I visited my grandmom in the village. I was about maybe about 10, 11 years old. There was an old man who was blind. Listen very carefully. Mm -hmm. The man was a blind man. But the man goes to the forest at night. He was a herbalist. He goes and he talks to leaves and trees. 
And that was how he got his herbs to come and kill the people in his community. He was a blind man. Now, the question is this. How does he go to the forest? Oh, God, he needs some steak. Somebody should go with him. No, 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 no. He goes in the forest by himself. Yeah. Which goes to prove the fact that sight, when we use the word sight, it's not necessarily this. Yeah, it's, it's, beyond not, this. it's not necessarily ice. So chances are that he was much developed, okay, to take, sort of like, if I should say it this way, his spirit man hosted his body, faculties of his body, and could take his body along to go to the forest, talk to the least, interact, and come back home. Now, of course, how do you explain this? Maybe today, quantum science may have some sort of explanation to it. You get the picture? I don't think so. Probably not yet. I don't think <laughs> can explain no, you know, any of those things yet. And that's why, again, I'm just, you know, it's like an invitation to people who are listening because we have all kinds of people also who are listening to us. And it's for someone, it's some are practitioners and teachers. And for them, you know, they would be, yeah, I understand. I practice. Some people go, wow, this is like, you know, fairy tale. And they go, I know. Well, maybe for you it is a fairy tale, but I would still encourage to keep the mind open. And what if it is not? What if there are capacities of the mind? And I guess I'm talking now to the audience that you might not be fully aware of. And what benefit could it bring to your life if you learn how to develop it? And I just feel to your point, George, in your culture, and in general, the whole African continent has incredible deep knowledge and experience about Very mystical much. practices. Of course. Like I said, some use it for the good course and others use it for the evil courses. And so, of course, it's like this whole yin-yang thing, good, evil, you know, thing going on. Yeah. And so we, I listen, my grandmother never went to university, never, like I said, never even sat in the kindergarten school classroom, Okay. However, if you told my grandmother, she just died two months ago. She was 115 years. Oh, hold on. Let me get this straight. 115. 115. 115. years. Yeah. She just and died two, two months people, ago. The, the, the African people die young and don't live long. I mean, look at this. This is like... I'm telling you. Health. So my grandmother was 115 years old. I'm telling you. They say what? Yeah. Knock on wood? <laughs> okay. So check this out. If you were sick and you came to this woman, she knew what to go to the forest and pick, pop, 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 come home and will crush and create his own, uh, what you call it, herbal concoction for you. Yeah. And within an hour, you'd be walking around like nothing happened to you. Wow. You see the picture? Yeah. So all I'm trying to say is this. When we say African spirituality, it had a man. The spectrum was huge because it, you're looking at the elements, whether it was the fire, the water, the earth, and the winds. These people had understanding and they had knowledge to interact with elements to the point that, for instance, my grandfathers knew how to talk to rivers mm. because to the West, a river is a thing. Oh, this is where it got me and uh, Tahira in a conversation. Yes, and the thing is that you see, you see, when you relate to creation as a thing, or you take creation as a thing, you have now established grounds that you can abuse it, misuse it, and all, all kinds of things. But for the African, creation is not a thing. Creation is a living thing. Creation is a personality. And so the African looks at the river and looks at the river as the river is a person. That is why we have female rivers and we have male rivers. Wow, I didn't know that. That's oh. also new for me. Stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. <laughs> we have female rivers and we have male rivers. There are female trees and there are male trees. Everything you see on this earth has the feminine principle and the male principle working in it. Mm. Yeah, because you need the two to come together to produce. Exactly, exactly. And what you see is you just see that in nature also in a very direct manifestation. 
go to the ocean depths and you see the same principle working. Where you see there's two things going on. So there are female trees, there are male trees. So when you look at creation like a thing, then you will abuse it and misuse it. But the African, okay, will go to the forest and have understanding that this is that, this is that. So they knew how to relate with nature and creation. And you can never do that unless you were a mystic or you had mystical knowledge and understanding. Because globally speaking, I would say, if not, almost all mystics would never in any way abuse creation. I would totally agree with that. Yes. Every because they had, yeah. Yeah. Because they have understanding. They have understanding. And so for us in Africa, the spirituality was that it started with the fact that there is a source. Some say God. We call it creator. You know, all of that. So mm -hmm. there's a basic knowledge which is intrinsic in us. In Africa, trust me, especially the tribe that we I come from, all right, it was, an, it was a knowledge that it was undisputed. It was there. That we knew that we all, everything we are seeing came from a source. You get the picture? Correct. And so we looked at trees as personalities. We looked at rivers. We looked even the ground. You don't just go and do whatever you want to do because we understood that the earth is a woman. Mm -hmm. That's why it's Mother Earth. Okay? We understand that the earth is a woman. Now, this is a basic, I will use the term, I think for spirituality, this is the blueprint that every man, woman who is engaging in the spirituality thing have to understand that the earth is a woman. It's a feminine thing going on here on the earth. And that the trees and everything you're seeing, all of them are produced and all of them are personalities. So the African, I don't care who, who want to think what, but the African, I would say, was more attuned spiritually. That even in the night, in the night, I'll, I'll say this, it might be a little surprise, but most Africans will not whistle in the night. Most Africans were not what in the night? Whistle. Ah, would not whistle in the night. Okay. Because the spirit. Okay. Because your whistling is an invitation. Yes. There the is a personality. Come. Yes. Correct. The spirits come, right? When you whistle. Yeah. Correct. Correct. You see, but when you come to the West, it's not a knowledge. When I said the West, let's agree. All right. Europe in ancient time, was pretty much animistic too. Mm -hmm. All right? I don't care whether you're from Russia or you're from Poland or wherever. They all had uh, animistic, uh, uh, what you call it, perception, you know, approach to, to, to life. They understood things. Uh, you go to Netflix today, you are seeing a lot of movies coming from European history, narratives where you are seeing people or individuals who were practicing these things that we're talking about. Yeah. You'll see that, wow, Europeans were very, very animistic. You come to England, you have the Druids, the Druids and all of these yeah, guys. Druids, they were yeah. very powerful men. They were mystics. These are mystical people. They understood mysticism. Okay? Then you come to the church back then. Okay? Uh, Pat St. Patrick and all of these, Catherine of Siena, uh, Madame Guyon and all of these people. These were powerful mystics. They were from Europe. So Europe is not uh, anti-animism uh, uh, like how sometimes it is or it was at some point portrayed to be. You get the picture. But yeah. now we're seeing a revisitation where people are going back to their ancient roots and pulling narratives, okay, of their what, of their spirituality and bringing it to the present and showing it on the screen. And it's also about time. That's the other point. It's about time to all this conversation, how, how incredibly conditioned the society is and how everyone, you know, has been put in a very specific narrative. And so now people, we see, if we can use this word, right, sort of waking up, but in a sense, just becoming more aware of who they are and who they are not. And as a result, of course, they would go to their culture and try to figure out 
what's happening with the ancestors. And, you know, to, again, people who are for our audience right now, if you have uh, grandparents, for example, that are still alive, go and talk to them. You know, we don't do it enough. Hold right? it there. You so, know what? This is something that up to now, sometimes I weep because I would have loved grandma to be alive today. <laughs> I would have loved because, because these, listen, this is why in Africa, when a grandmother or a grandfather dies, we say a library is lost. Wow. This is such a beautiful way to acknowledge it. Correct. Because a grandmother was not just a grandmother, like, oh, grandma, oh, grandma, grandma. No, no, it was beyond that. Okay. In my culture, a grandmother was deified. Deva. Deified. Day, ah, deified. Like a day. Deified. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Grandmothers and grandfathers are deified. Literally. Wow. And so in every house, there was a stool that they sat on. Uh-huh. Yeah. You may call it the divining stool. Yeah. Yes. We don't we don't put our grandmothers and grandfathers in some nursing home and ha- no, 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 we don't no, do you that. basically you 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 like you worship them in a way, like in a okay you know, conscious way. Exactly. Exactly. We 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 adored grandmothers. Yeah. When grandma came to the home, you felt secured because grandma was not just a library, but grandma was a mystic. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> yeah, I tell you one story. This is so beautiful. <laughs> what you say? No, it's so beautiful. So yeah, tell me, tell me the story. Okay, so I uh, I remember the age of uh, I think I was six. Yeah, six eight, and uh, we had a house helper who died. Died. We didn't even know she died. And the next day, when she was dying, my father had traveled. And my father had given keys to her because, you know, she lived with us. And stuff, my mom was busy. So she basically was uh, given the keys to, you know, make sure everything was fine. And she died. She died in the night. Check this out. My mom is sleeping in her room. Okay. And either whether it was an apparition or whatever, whatever, the lady came to the room and said, Ma, this is the keys and dropped the keys. And then went back. So my mom gets up in the morning and it's like, oh, she came to my room and gave me keys. And my mom was getting ready to go to work. So my mom goes to her room and knocks the door. I say, hey, get up, let's go. And she was like this. Long story short, took her to the hospital. They pronounced her dead on spot. Mom is crying. Everybody's crying. Check this out. Grandma is called upon. Grandma comes. When grandma came to the home, we all felt secured. Yeah. Now check this out. In the night, I don't know what happened. So we're sleeping and in the night, my grandmother, I don't know what he, she saw, but she told us the next day and said, the young lady came to the house and opened one of the taps in, a, in the bathroom. And she saw it and everything. And, you know, so uh, I think about the third time or so, we're sleeping and grandma comes to wake us up. This is about 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> grandma wakes up and says, yo, come, come, come. We come to the bathroom and the top is open. And my grandmother speaks to the spirit. He said, listen, there are children here. You can't come and scare them in this house. So go to where you came from. How do you explain that scientifically? Mm-hmm. <laughs> i tell you another story. Okay, because this 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 kind of like you know authenticates what I'm sharing with. Yes. Now, my dad gave his car to uh, a friend of his who came from the next country. Um, this is Ghana. The next country was Togo. The mm-hmm. gentleman was from Togo, so my father gave his car to him to go bury his father. Now, listen very carefully. That's why I say African spirituality is is to the root. And and I would the people will give some sort of recognition and respect to that, you know, mm-hmm. and not think that the black people or the African they didn't know things, they knew things. Except they knew our a lot of things. And yeah, still our, 
yes, our approach, I believe, and I'm not, I'm not here to be a voice for the whole continent. No, my experience is limited. So I'm just being a little bit of a contributor, basically, to the awareness. My grandfather, sorry, my, my dad gives a scar. The gentleman goes and buries the uh, father or his father and then, you know, brings the car, packs the car. And, you know, life is good. Check this out. My sister is the first to get up in the morning because she has to get up in the African home to get up and sweep the house, get ready, go take a shower, and then we sit in the car and go to school. My dad drops us at school. My sister gets up and sees a man standing by the car. And then, ha, yay, yay. Why? Because my dad used to bring visitors. We got visitors, you know, from the village or wherever. My sister says, hello, good morning, and goes about her business and sweeps and goes, take a shower. I'm in the car. My sister comes in the car. My dad comes, taking us to school. My sister said, hey, dad, where is that guy? The guy who um, I saw by the car, where is he? When did he come last night? And my dad was so smart. that my dad, the moment she mentioned, my, my dad gave an excuse. And what my dad did is this. My, God, my dad goes three houses down the line because there's a man there who comes from that tribe. Mm-hmm. The man requests for two schnapps. You know what a schnapp is? It's a drink. <coughs> yes. <laughs> Bless you. Thank it's you. a drink. It's from, it's from Holland. Maybe you need a shot of schnapps. <laughs> Even though it's like morning in Singapore, but wait here. <laughs> so my dad goes and, and grabs this guy the guy requests for two schnapps. They give to the guy schnapps. Watch here. And the guy begins to pour it. And we in Africa, there's a term we use. We call it libation. Mm-hmm. Libation is an act of pouring a drink. It could be uh, what you call it, water. It could be a strong drink. It could be whatever. Pouring. And then you, you, you invoke words. Mm-hmm. And as a result of engaging these two elements, what happens is that you engage a dimension, okay, where you address at the entity. Aha. Mm-hmm. You address the entity. So in this case, the gentleman addressed the entity, whatever spirit it was, because there is a ritual that should have been done to relieve the car of the attachment of the spirit entity. Mm-hmm. This is where, aha. So they didn't do it. So what happens is that the spirit entity follows the vehicle to where the vehicle is now stationed. And what would have happened is this. If that is not done, the spirit will have resided there and will be sort of like zooming in and out. And before you realize, people will say, oh, my God, this, oh, my God, this. And then it becomes a haunted place. Yes, yes, because spirits needs to be set free and go where they Correct. Yeah, that is what the man came to do to relieve the spirit and say, hey, you know, go. And that was the end of it. We never heard or saw anything like that in the home. So this brings us to the fact that, okay, if that be the case, why the brouhaha about the, uh, let's say, Christianity invading Africa and then the aspects of the African indigenous religious or spirituality practices, okay? What is Buddhism? What is Krishna? What is Ekanka? What is uh, Shinto? What is, uh, what's the other one recently? All these, these, these are religions, okay? You come to Africa today, there are Africans who subscribe to some of these Eastern religions. Yes, they do. Yes, yes it's a I lot. Know I think Ghana, a- right? I mean, Ghana is largely Christian. Ghana is, a, yeah, Ghana is a liberal country. Mm-hmm. It's a religious, tolerant it's a religiously tolerant, uh, what you call it, country. And so the freedom of worship is, is there. Okay. I knew of a Kanka, Hare Krishna. I had uh, a school matrons who were Hare Krishna. Uh, and my, my chemistry teacher was a third eye Buddhist. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I remember I'd go to his house and his Gohonza will be there. I will go there and I hear him chanting. Sometimes he can go into it. Sometimes it'll be about four people and they'll go into it for like 
three hours and hours. Yeah. Yeah. My chemistry teacher was a very ardent Buddhist, you know, person. And then uh, we had other, you know, uh, practices that go on. So the campus that I was, was a very spiritually charged environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You get the picture. Yeah. But George, I'm just also mindful of the time. We are coming to an hour soon with our conversation. Oh, sure. Wow. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, it's like I feel we would need to have like a part one, you know, with you to go deeper. And just maybe Down. in the final last few minutes, I would like to just ask a few more questions. It has been fascinating listening to you. You know, the story just fascinating everything and with your grandparents and how you grew up. And what I'm curious about, so what is then happening in time which is now and what do you feel will be happening for the next generation like for those who are being born now oh, and that's very they, interesting right i mean are they able to to preserve the traditions are they knowledgeable enough and experienced uh, or they're becoming too westernized whatever the western world is right are we keeping mm-hmm. this like are you practicing yourself so those kind of questions like where are we heading with this okay it's 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 uh it's a yes and a no i'll tell you why Mm-hmm. Um, most of the elders are dying. Okay, and that generation is passing away gradually. What is happening is this: with the influx of Western influence, you know, internet, computers, and things like that, you have the present generation. They are caught between and betwixt. Okay, because this is where they are coming from. This is their background. Okay, however, they also have been introduced to another aspect of life. You see, so the challenge is that they have to take what where the spirituality of where they're coming from and make it relevant in their day. Yeah. Okay, assimilate and relate in their day and time. That's what they need to do. Now, some are doing a great job. I could speak for my country. I don't know the others. Some are doing a great job in awakening the awareness. And so you go to places like Ghana, where you have uh, individuals and setting special, setting groups who are drumming the awareness that we need to go back. I'll give you a word and you can research on that word. And the word is symbolized by uh, yeah, what do you call this thing? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. A stork. You know what a stork is, right? A stork. A bird. It's a bird. <laughs> the bird, yes. The bird that okay. in All some, right. so some stories brings children, yes. <laughs> thank you. Okay. So it's symbolized by a stork reaching out to her, its back to pick up an egg. All right. That is a symbol. Now, the word for it is called S-A-N-K-O-F-A, which is Sankofa. It is an expression which is very deep, which means that reach out to the back and pick up what was left for you, which is, in other words, if I should say in our present language, we say back to the future. Yes, back to the future. It's what we were just talking yesterday, right? During so the, so the, future the future is not actually here. The future is here. Yeah. You see the picture? So that is what is happening now. So through music, through the arts and stuff, they are raising the awareness. And the thanks fully, the present generation who were at one point in time sort of like shifting and literally they were desecrating the culture. Because what was happening is this. Listen, I'm an African. I will never be a Chinese. I would, I'm sorry, nothing wrong with the Chinese, but I'm just saying, I am an African. It's all here. You can see it. I would never want to be European. I would never want to be, uh, what you call it, South American. This is me. All right. By what you call it, whatever selection, this is where I am. So I must be proud of this, embrace this, and work with what I have. You get the picture? Yeah. But when the generation that we have today is sort of like rejecting their own, and embracing others and bringing it in their, their, their cultural context, it, it, it conflicts them. Yeah. You see the picture? That is what yeah. is happening. So the good news is that there's a lot of interest groups and individuals who are 
become bloggers and stuff like that. And if you watch YouTube uh, uh, per se, you will see there's a lot of uh, what you call it, uh, videos on individuals who are drumming the awareness and waking people the awareness to say, hey, 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 stop it. Embrace your own. Welcome your own. This is who you are. And maybe, like you said, pay a visit to grandma. Go see granddaddy. Exactly. Exactly. And then okay. Just- yeah. And have some serious talk with them. And then find your own spirituality a niche. You got a picture. Find a niche and work it from there. Because you know what I realized, uh, uh, Yana? Truth is truth. You can't kill truth. <laughs> truth is truth. It cuts abroad. I don't care where you are. Truth is truth. And as you pursue it, you'll meet, you will definitely encounter truth as you go. That's how I see it. So uh, just like you're saying, uh, yes, of course, it's challenging or it has been challenging. Okay. Because the youth, especially I'll start from the eighties. It started with the eighties. In the eighties, it was such a massive shift that that whole generation who came from the seventies or were born from the sixties to the seventies or in the eighties, they were mature. And so they, their experience was very anti-indigenous, if I use the term. And then gradually it's maximized in the 90s. All right. Come 2000, the ties began to change. And then now there was a call that, hey, let's go back. Hey, let's go back. And so gradually now you're seeing people being proud. Listen, when I was coming up, when you went to the club, you had Michael Jackson and all yes. of that. Today. You go to the African club, you don't hear Michael Jackson, you don't hear no no Western music. You hear Afro music, you call it Afrobeat today. Yeah. <laughs> you see the picture? And the beauty of that music is this. Even though it might sound contradiction and the Nigerians may may may, may, may sort of like uh, uh, challenge what I'm about to say, but Afrobeat itself, its origin is from Ghana. Mm. Okay? It's from, yes, it's from Ghana. Now, the good news is this. Ghana and Nigeria have always been if I should say the British twins, okay, they were the most influential in the British colony in the whole continent of Africa was Ghana and Nigeria. Ghana being the first independent country, of course, and then Nigeria comes about. Now, the thing is this, Ghana and Nigeria have a lot in common. They have a lot in common that they do. And what has happened is this, uh, a gentleman by the name of Fela who actually came to Ghana a lot. So he was very smart. I love the ingenuity of that man. He took the Ghanaian Halai, took the Yoruba indigenous music, infused it with jazz from the West, and he created Afrobeat. <laughs> okay? Very smart. So, Very smart. Yeah. so you're seeing such uh, uh, a beauty in the African music, where you are seeing African music uh, used like their the, the indigenous uh, instruments, you know, whether it's... Uh, wind or pipe instruments or drums or whatever and you hear their music and it appeals to you there's something about you and your culture where you're coming from you get the picture where you hear indigenous music that is coming from your background it resonates different with you that's the thing it's a it's like a body connection right it's not intellectual it's, it's what you said it may be the times with our grandparents and great great parents they didn't know how to read so they played music and that's how you transferred. Maybe there was music together with the oral transmissions of the stories. So there's the whole culture. It actually speaks to the body and to the heart and less to the mind. You know what the grandmothers do? Let me touch on grandma before time is gone. One of the things that the grandmothers did, especially was this. In the night, okay, grandma will sit the children in the house, especially grandchildren and stuff, will sit them under the moon. Ah. Yeah, they do it under moonlight and they will, what happens is this, it came with songs and storytelling. And so they will sing songs and in the course of she telling all these, I'm talking about intriguing stories that will keep the children at all like this and looking at grandma's face like this, you know, they will tell these stories and the stories had nuggets of truths embedded in them. So when the child went to sleep, the subconscious mind began to process everything grandma was saying because you call emotion picture. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh-huh. Okay. 
But and I know afraid, you like motion pictures. <laughs> <laughs> you see, so they brought it together and with the music and the words rhyme together and it's something that will never, ever leave the child. Yes, that's, that's maybe one of the better ways to actually uh, transfer information and educate people. You know, yep. that's one of the things that I feel also, even for me, I mean, I love motion pictures and I know you are also, you know, into the movies. So I do feel that I'm also moving in this direction. I'm like, okay, we have to make a movie. We have to start making movies with the statements. We have to make movies with the mystical teachings, right? So, and there are already which are being created, but I do sometimes wonder what is the region, what is the intention, and is it really true or not? Because then, as you said, it goes in people's subconscious mind and they take it as truth. So, I mean, look now with what they released, the, the Netflix, right? Released the new season of Crown. How many? Well, have, yeah. I got to see that. How yeah. many I mean, you know, just think about this. It's an entire life, right, of a royal family of so many generations. I wow. bet how many young people around the world would not read books. They would watch Netflix series, The Crown. Exactly. Truth. And, and think that this is exactly how everything happened. Now, the question is, is it really happened? Is it, you know, fiction way of telling a storytelling? Very hard to say. <clears throat> so, you know, but that's what I feel. Yes, maybe, you know, maybe we should also move. Uh, let's move into movies, George. That's my point. <laughs> you know what? Check this out. This is why uh, Rabbi Cosmas, who's, of course, yeah. you know, Rabbi Cosmas and uh, Rabbi Cosmas myself, uh, put together this uh, Malakut thing and it is a movie industry that we have created and the purpose is just for this you know that we can tell stories from that from that you know from that side you know from our own perspective basically you know exactly. and, and tell yeah you know exactly. where we create our own tell our own narratives you know yeah. and utilize all that we have because the beauty I'm not from I'm not here to promote Netflix but I think Netflix is one network that is very diverse. Yes, with very diverse. Yes. Correct. I love to watch my Indian, uh, what you call it, movies. Oh yeah, yeah. I love me some Indian movies. I love it because you know what? You know, Indians are very. I'm sorry, my Indian brothers and sisters, but Indians are very African. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Correct. Because when I look and read, when I look at their movies and how uh, uh, their culture, I, I so admire it. How they, they have respect. They'll touch the feet of the grandmother or the grandfather. Yes. You know, it's and that is respect. You come to Nigeria, they have a way of posturing on the floor to show. Listen, man, I'm sorry to say this. My brothers and sisters from the South, from the, from the West, you see, these indigenous people have a better understanding you know, yes, so I appreciate Indian movies. I appreciate, you know, I'm seeing Korean movies. I'm seeing all these kind of movies. I'm saying, wow, go Netflix. It's very diverse. And I am looking forward to work with them. I'll be honest with you. I'm looking sure. forward to work with them. Okay. Thank you so much for being here with us. I mean, it's I, amazing. I enjoyed myself. <laughs> and I think it is just the beginning and we can, we, we, you know, we could definitely continue and let's find a way to do this. And to our audience, I just would like to say that maybe if we can talk about, remember the call to action, right? So just to summarize everything what we discussed, go talk to your grandma, go talk to your grandpa. And especially if you're a person like me, who left your country of origin long time ago. I mean, I left 20 years ago. I was born in St. Petersburg. And especially if you're well-traveled and you live in different countries, it is very easy to lose your ancestral wisdom. So it's really yep. important. And, and as you said, George, I love it. That is the reason why you were born in a particular culture. I mean, you were born okay. as African, not as an Asian or European or American. You And so there's a reason to this. And I find especially now with the way how technology evolving and I mean metaverse is coming and so future is coming it is inevitable we can't run away from this but the danger we are facing right now that we are losing the past and there's so much wisdom in the past. so we have to you know Yana, we have to you're so right. we, like, you're we so have right. to somehow uh consolidate the essence of the wisdom so we can bring it into the future with us you know just like I said 
the word is Sankofa, it may return back and pick it up. It's a sign that the future is in the past. Exactly. But nevertheless, it's represented with an egg. What is an egg? In my African belief system, an egg represents the essence of life. It is past and the future in a moment. Yes. Yes. That's why we call it egg. Because the egg you're seeing today, hmm, it's actually all that has ever existed, especially if let's say it's a chicken egg. All the chickens that have ever existed are in the present. And what the potentiality is for the future is also in the present. So an egg encapsulates the future and the past in a moment. In a moment. So you can't lose your history. You can't let go of the past. And tell me, oh, forget the past. Let's go to do. No, 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 no. You need it. Yes. That's a major component. Bravo. <laughs> That's all what I can say right right now. So thank you. Thank you for being with us today, George. <laughs> it's an honor. And my regards to all your audience. I hope my little conversation has been uh, uh, interest to you. And uh, I look forward. Listen, feel free. Reach me anytime. It's all good. I'll be here for you. Okay. <laughs> a gentle reminder that this is not a regular podcast. Because here we have no rules and no scripted questions. All conversations are spontaneous, unfiltered, and real with people from all over the world, regardless of their race, religion, nationality, skin color, language, or social circumstances. The intention for this podcast is to showcase the infinite variety of how human beings think and what they do to create happiness, fulfillment, self-realization, health, wealth, legacy, and overall, a truly spectacular life. Did you enjoy the interview? Feel free to share this episode with friends, subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel, and follow us on social media. And remember, you are the master of your own life. <laughs>